0: Let us turn again to the chapters we have just read, the epistle of Paul to the Colossians, chapter 1, and let us look at verse 27. God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We would wish to confine our attention to the last clause of this verse in you the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 The apostle speaks here of a mystery. Now a mystery is something the existence of which we are aware that we know very little about it. It is a thing that is, as it were, half-hidden. But now this mystery that was half-hidden from this circle Now that the work of Christ has been completed and the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church, now this mystery is no longer a mystery that is explained in the spreading abroad of the gospel unto the Gentiles. And then the apostle, Making that clear says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Very often we hear that quoted as Christ, the hope of glory that is quite a scriptural is quite a scriptural proposition because after all isn't Christ the hope of his people all some death isn't it under they reach glory that their hope shall be fully complied with, when they will see him then face to face, truly Christ is the hope of glory, but what we have here is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and we just take these words as they are as we have them in this translation. Christ in you, their hope of glory. Now, in seeking to consider these words, first of all, we would like to see, how can Christ be in you? That is to say, in the Lord's people. Because the apostle is working to the Lord's people. How can Christ be in you? We know that we can be in Christ. That is a scriptural doctor. But what we have here is Christ in you. And how can that be? And then in a second place we shall pass on to ask, How can Christ in you? constitute the hope of glory. And then in the third place we shall get down to the very practical question is this hope used? First of all then let us see how Christ can be in his people. In the chapter of Romans and at the ninth verse we find there what casts light upon this question that ye are not of the flesh but of the spirit if so be the spirit of God dwelling in you now if any man hath not the spirit of Christ he is none of his the spirit of God dwelling in you that is the Spirit of Christ. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of His. Christ then dwells in the heart of the believer through the Spirit. And there is the source of the life of the believer. Christ dwelling in the heart. There is the blessed fountain. From which the tide of sanctification ever flows throughout the soul. Christ there in the heart. And if any man have not the spirit of Christ, says the word, he is none of these. (coughs) Now, this is not a natural condition. This is not something that people may grow into. Nor is it something that they may attain by their own self-endeavours. It's not a natural condition. They cannot attain to this, no matter how godly they may try to be. How then does Christ enter into the heart? Christ enters into the heart In the new birth, in the the regeneration of the soul, when the soul is made a new creature, Christ, the Spirit of Christ, enters into that soul and dwells there and abides there. And this entry then is effective not by the creature's eh? There is an aspect of the Gospel very popular today which is anything but scriptural. And Christ is depicted as though he were knocking as a humble suppliant at the door of a sinner. And it is made out that he is dependent upon the will of the sinner for the opening of the door of his heart. And that if the sinner does not open the door, then the upon. King. The days of his humiliation are forever ended and he'll never come as a suffering unto a sinner but he'll come as a king. The door must needs be opened. He'll not enter in at that door against the will of the sinner but the way in which he affects entrance is by the exercise of his kingly power in making that sinner willing, willing and of his power. But so when he enters in, he enters in with the full consent of the sinner. Now we say that Allah enters into the heart, it runs there permanently, as a king. And as a king he subdues everything before him. He comes into the heart, and the affections that used to gather about the vanities of this world now are constrained to gather about him and to render unto him their homage. And the which counted so much for the sinners. In the life that he lived until now, he has a sight because of the glory that he sees now in Christ. And Christ, our King, rules in the interests of his life. The main interests of his life are all centered about Christ. Christ as King Jesus will to himself that will that was so rebellious now he's asking humbly Lord what wilt thou have me to do that is all the desire of the will now to do the will of him come coming as king to rule in that heart and to subdue for His own glory, that life unto Himself. He comes into the heart to take up His dwelling there as King. And that affects, as we have seen, the whole life. And therefore the entry of Christ into our life or into our heart is something that cannot be hid. Something that cannot be hid from those who know the person concerned. Those who know at once discern that there has come a fundamental change here and they say, oh so and so is he. Christ has come in, in the power of his Spirit, to take up his dwelling there and heart." In that way, we we understand how Christ can be in you. If it is, if this be your experience, then Christ is in you as the indwelling Spirit of Christ. And if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he is Navi. Now, in the second place, how can this indwelling Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the possession of this indwelling Spirit constitute the hope of glory? That's our next consideration. But first of all, what do we, what do we mean by this glory? There is a glory that is above every earthly glory. A glory that pertains to the world that is to come and to that region which we know by the name of heaven. A glory which no more than I have ever looked upon. imagination of man it hath not entered into the mind of man the glory that is there a glory brighter than the brightness of the midday sun a glory that shall never fade away it is all glorious there and there the king reigns in his power and in his glory It is the hope of the Lord's people that when they leave this world, they will be brought up by the grace of God into that glorious land. That is their hope. Now, there are many who hope to get to heaven, but the hope that they have is a That hope may be very strong. We may be quite sure of them to heaven. There no question whatsoever concerning. I Separating his own in the world. He is dealing with them by his grace, awakening them to a sense of their need, then dealing with them in his grace and making them new creatures, and in a new breath entering into their heart. Separating them out from the children of this world. So that although they are still in the world, they are no longer of the world. They are a separate people. A people whom he has separated out for himself. And by so doing, he indicates clearly that this is his intention to take them to be with him forever. He must know land of which we have been speaking. Now, the surety of all this or of that expectation does not land in the hope itself. That is that you entertain a hope of entering into the glory land once you leave the wilderness of this world. Thus we say that this hope, or rather that this condition, Christ in you constitutes the hope of new. And now, in the third place, we come to ask the question a very plain, a very practical question, Is this hope yours? I know you hope to get to heaven. In all probability, every person within these walls tonight entertains the hope of reaching heaven at last. God yes, but upon what that said to found it. Is it based upon your endeavor to lead as journey a life as you can? You are trying to do the very best you can, maybe. You are set yourself out to, re- to live Like a light in the night. Or it may be that you are entertaining the hope that God will be merciful to you when you leave the world because he is a merciful one, because it is in his nature to show mercy unto the pure and needy. Your hope then is based upon the merciful nature of God. I remember when a very young man in Edinburgh listening to a very eminent preacher from England and he towards the end of his address exhorted his audience he pressed to this, not to have any fears concerning eternity, concerning death and beyond, but to press to this, that God would deal with them as men. That was his lust. There was no word of the words of Christ. There was no word of Calvary. There was no word of the atonement, no word of the quickening and saving work of the Holy Spirit. God, because he is a merciful one, will deal with you as man. Well at that time I didn't know my right hand from my left so far as spiritual things were concerned. But I knew my shorter catechism and I knew that man in spite of all his eminence was wrong. But I wonder how many in that audience swallowed the lie. God has revealed his mercy in Christ Jesus. And if you do find mercy in Him? You need not expect to mercy where God has never promised to be merciful. Outside Christ, there is the range of the justice of God and mercy is not there. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It may be that your hope is this. You're going to have a little longer of your own way, the way of your own way. You don't want to give that up just yet. There's a lot in the world to attract you. And you love many things in this world. And you don't feel inclined to turn away from all these things just yet. You have made up your mind that one day you are going to become religious. You are going to seek the Lord and you are going to be converted. And if ever there were a sincere true Christian upon earth, that one will be you. That is what you have resolved, firmly resolved, that you are going to seek the Lord will be converted and that you will give all your life and soul unto him. Yes, you are there a comfortable program for yourself that will allow you to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And to do so, and of their spiritual inability, and they say they can do nothing about it. But dear friend, you can do something about it. And you can do something that you have never done before. And that something is this. You can give heed to the gospel call and you can consider seriously the gospel message. You have never done that yet, it may be. You've been fighting with the gospel. You have been trained to the gospel message under this pretext, under that pretext, and you have never yet sincerely faced up to the gospel message and given to that message the heat that it demands, and that it has a right unto. You. You've never done that yet, and that's the first step. Nobody can be saved without giving heed to the Gospel message. And if you have gone through the first step, you need to think about the rest of the way. Addressed to whoever Ruth will, the invitation is issued and clear. No matter who you may be, you will hear the gospel. You are asked to take advantage of this invitation and to come and to take the water of life free, without sin, without fear. Take as brought and the gospel the message of salvation and act upon that message by committing yourself unto the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. That is what you are asked to do under the gospel. And it is in connection with that that the promise is given that if you come unto Christ he will in no wise cast you out. Under no conditions will he cast you out. (laughs) Now then. Do you still accept these errors? If so, cast yourself just as you are Because of his finished work and on the ground of his word given in the truth. And just leave yourself there with him. He cannot, we say it with reverence, he cannot go back upon his word. He has said, Him that cometh unto me, I will endure my Come then, come as a poor needy sinner, come in your inability, come in all your sins, come just as you are, and put him to the test. He'll not pass you. But perhaps you are But somehow or another I have not the power, I know not how to come, I know not how to commit myself unto the care of the Lord. In. And don't be without your pleading. Don't allow yourself to despair of early delay and keep you yet at bay. you come unto him and surely are coming unto him, if thus you are pleading, that if, if you come unto him, he will in no wise cast you out. You got back to, to encourage you, no matter how long your experience may be, of waiting upon him and pleading with him to give you the power to enable you. To avail yourself of the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Well, let me take another case. It may be that you have not the desire. That may be your case. You haven't even got the desire. be saved. But at present you cannot say that it is your desire to be saved. No. You haven't the desire. What are you to do? Well then what is required of you is this. To concentrate upon the things of God. Turn away from those things which they have been taking up your life and begin seriously and earnestly to think of your soul, to think of death, to think of where you are going, to think of eternity, to think of the blood of Christ, to think of the darkness which is eternal. And to think of the glory that is over yonder, on the other side of Jordan where the Lord way for His people. Think of the Gospel, the things of the Gospel. Let these thoughts take up your mind. Be reading the Word. Be studying the Word. Be seeking light upon the Word. And the word will have its own influence upon you and you will feel gradually how that the draw of the world becomes weaker and it will be a wonder indeed if the time does not come. to a saving knowledge of Christ thus you will find yourself upon the good way upon the way of hope but he who gives the desire is easily entreated but you see it all begins there it must begin there because you must realize and although it is true that by nature we are dead in trespasses and in sins, that's to say we are spiritually dead. At the same time, God is not addressing his gospel to you as though you were a stone. But he is addressing his gospel to you as a reasonable creature. He has given you a reason. And when he comes with his gospel, he expects you to use that reason. And surely, friend, it's not a reasonable thing when the Lord comes to you with the most important message that can ever meet you, who is capable of using his reason in connection with that message, and more than that, the gospel is addressed to you as a responsible creature. You are responsible for what you do with the gospel. And if when you hear the gospel message you turn aside and refuse the productivity. Aren't you responsible for that? Certainly. Certainly you are. You are turning away from life and choosing death. And you are responsible for that. Therefore, You must begin there, you must begin by taking heed of the gospel message, by giving God the attention that His word word demands. And if you are not willing to do that, if you don't do that, there's no hope for you. And you yourself and you alone will be responsible. In eternity, you'll find yourself in the blackness of darkness forever and ever. where there is no mercy. Now, as these services close, I will just seek to read that message with the unconverted, of hope and peace and comfort for the Lord's people here. For if Christ be in them, then they have in them that which encourages them to hope for a place in glory, and that hope shall not be put to shame. Yet, there is also this message left with those who are strangers to this grace. The gospel message. The gospel message in its simplicity and in its cleanness. And the question, are you willing or are you not willing to give heed to that gospel message as you give heed to any earnest message which you may receive from a fellow picture. Each of thee that thou art'st blessed thy word. Hast thou not promised that it shall not return unto thee, Lord? We have sought to declare thy truth. We have sought to declare it as we find it in thy word. We thank thee, Lord, for the comfort of thy word, for all that it is giving thy people. We thank thee also for the gospel, for the gospel message and for the clearness of that message. And we thank thee Lord for the work of the Holy Spirit as well as for the work of Christ who offered himself up as a sacrifice satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God. O oh Lord, may poor sinners be persuaded to heed this message. May they take to heart what the Lord has to say. And may they be found soon seeking Him whose claims hitherto they have rejected and despise. Hear us, Lord, plead of thee, and grant us thy blessing. Let us not turn away from the prospect of glory, that do thou enable us to say that through the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us, manifest to us in many a way, we entertain a hope of one day seeing the face of our Savior in the land that we have often heard of and that we often think about, the land that is on the other side of the flood. Hear us, Lord, and pardon us our sins for the Redeemer's sake. Amen.